Welcome, everybody, back to the Clear Out Podcast with your host, Matt Brooks. We are brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. If you've not already subscribed, go ahead and do that on your preferred streaming platform. But today, I have a very special guest, somebody I've known since I... How long have we known each other? Since I was doing, like, the live streams, which I've just completely abandoned at this point. Uh, this is Mark. He's a, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. He's done a lot of really creative videos over the years. Uh, just really, really smart, really into a lot of the things that I'm into, uh, the biomechanics stuff, the play-by-play stuff. So, Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm going to try and not embarrass myself on this podcast. Look, I'm doing that every single day. That is that is what this podcast is. It's, like, amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm almost at 20, 20 episodes without saying anything, you know, flagrant or any or embarrassing myself. So I'm going to take that win. Um, we just – we're coming off a pretty – I say pretty good win. Like I, I haven't always said that this year, but pretty good Nets win over the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, that that we're recording on Saturday right now. So this was this was on Friday night. Um, let's let's start here as we have yet another uh, health and safety protocols. Kyle Kuzma just joined the long list. Um, what 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 was your main takeaway from this game? So I kind of had like six or five main takeaways. So let's do it. All right, do you want to start negative or positive? Uh, let's start negative. I don't really think this of this as like a negative, but I know people were really picking on like the Marcus Aldridge and his pick and roll defense with Trey Young. I'm not going to be like too hard on him, but I think the Hawks matchup in particular and just in general across the league is like a really difficult matchup for bigs that play job coverage exclusively. Yeah, I like that you brought this up. I, I talked to uh, Lucas Kaplan about this. It was like one of my closing statements on the last podcast I did. And I kind of asked like, hey, what's it going to look like for LaMarcus in the playoffs? Because I think there's certain series where he'll make sense. But boy, you're giving up a lot on the other end. And and it's like you saw it against Golden State. I mean, he barely played uh, except for in the second half. But, you know, when he did play, they put him in handoff action. They... uh you know, Steph, they were switching him on Steph. And then the Phoenix game was like just the entire game. I felt like it was him just getting torched and pick and roll. So I'm happy you brought that up. Yeah, I think at least in the context of like the Hawks game, what makes it so difficult is like their offense is like super dynamic. And it's really like pick your poison, where if you're running like you got Kevin Herter and like TLC or in a better healthy world, you get like DeAndre Hunter or whoever, right? In the two corners, you get Clint Capella in the dunker spot, and they're running like Trey Young and John Collins pick and roll. You, if you play drop coverage and take away the lob, Trey Young can pull up, hit floaters, hit mid rangers. If you play up, then Trey Young can just hit the lob pass. And if you take away Trey Young's three point shooting floaters and you take away the lob, he can just hit whoever's helping on those scenarios in the corner, right? So it's a really hard offense to guard. So I don't want to be like too hard on the Marcus because he did have situations in pick and roll where it's like, oh, he's able to get a deflection or stop a lot pass or like get a block. But it's a really hard matchup for him. And I don't want to be too hard on him for. Yeah, because and also like pick and roll, there's like two sides of it. There's a big and then there's and I I don't think they I I didn't feel like Bembry was super effective in that matchup. I think Trey's a little quick for him. Um, so I, you know, and maybe Bruce is the answer. Uh, Bruce also, by the way, the, the Trey Young stopping on a, on a, you know, stopping and like 
jumping into guys. Are we just not mm-hmm. calling? Wasn't that the whole point of all these rule changes? And they just... I hate complaining about the refs, but that was like... That one was weird to me. <laughs> yeah, he got like, two calls for that. I thought... I think he's making it less obvious. I think what it's looking like in like real time is that he's stopping and he's like leaning back slightly. So you can't really tell. It's not as like egregious and excessive as previous years or like last year. Well, he's shooting for mid range also this year. Like I think it was uh, somebody just did a good article. I think it was Michael Pena uh, from uh, sports illustrated. He just did a good article on that. So uh, yeah. So I, 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 I think like, that was weird to see. But yeah, no, I'm happy you brought that up. It, it really reminded me of like the Knicks series where it's like, hey, we've kind of, and like I, LaMarcus is not the same drop defender as even, you know, somebody like, uh, you know, Nerland's Noel or or whoever. But uh, I feel like we've seen this movie where it's like, if you play drop on this guy and, you know, maybe you're um, you're playing in the gaps a little bit, uh, he's just going to, he's going to hurt you. He's going to hurt you that way. And that's, that was, so I think that's a salient point you brought up. So next point, I guess this is more positive. I think this was pretty clearly Bruce Brown's best game this year. I yep. only think that's that's not a debate. I think he did a lot better just converting on floaters. Defensively, obviously, kind of struggled with Trey, but who doesn't really? But offensively, I think this was the cleanest performance he had. A lot more clean floaters that were going in compared to like the rest of the season this year, where it's just been kind of bad. And he did a lot better like off ball navigation stuff, where like. This year in particular, it's been really bad where he'll be like moving off ball after a screen or just off ball when people not paying attention to him. And he'll kind of end up in spaces that block like driving lanes or collide with like other defenders. And like this game was a lot more clean for him. Yeah, I feel like that's where Bembry has been able to like stand apart from him. Bembry's so good at, at and James Johnson too, too, to agree. Uh, it just, those guys are so much more developed, I think, in that skill of like, hey, we can't shoot, but we're going to kind of find those gaps, those clean areas to make plays from. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it helped too that, that Atlanta ignored him and he was like crashing the glass. That's a great way to make an impact. You saw that last year. P.J. Tucker did that um, against the Nets in the second round series. So um, I, I thought it was a good game. I I, I really, the, the floater falling is like such a swing skill. Um, and I, I didn't, I mean, I'm curious. Do you think it was like lineup optimization or was it literally just the shot falling? <laughs> I think it's just a shot falling. I, yeah. I think the problem with, and we can get into this later too, because I know we are, but like, I think the roster construction hurts him right now and just people being out and not available. So like, as much as I like LaMarcus Aldridge, for example, he's always like in the mid range area. So it just makes it harder for like Bruce Brown to find space and occupy and get a floater off or something like that. So, and granted, it's not like LaMarcus's fault or anything, but I think just because of the roster constriction, it's a lot harder for him to get clean looks this year. Yeah. And, and, you know, even just they're, they're running. I mean, I actually, I want to check this, but I, I want to say they're running less pick and roll, uh, you know, roll man sets for him this year, especially yeah. now with Blake out. Um, it's, it's so that part of his game is gone. Also, he's not making as many plays in the open floor. A lot of these floaters are now coming from those, um, you know, 45 cuts from the wing into the paint where there's already another guy versus last mm-hmm. year, that that look is going to be mostly open because you have Jeff Green in the corner or, or whoever, um, and and you know Joe Harris at the wing. Like that's uh, I guess I should say on the other side of the floor, those two areas. Um, so that I think is a big problem for him so far. Yeah, it's just not enough roster spacing right now for it to really work. You can't use him as a ball screener when if he dives, 
there's already people existing there in those spaces. Like James Johnson's like in a dunker spot yeah, or something like that. So you can't really utilize him in that manner this year. So it kind of sucks, but I mean, it's good to see him have a nice game offensively, especially like after that Bulls game where it was just like, he was missing everything. Yeah. And it's, and with the hamstring injury too, like I just, I don't know. I, this, this was big for him because he was the guy where I was looking at, uh, you're like trying to map out the rotation in the playoffs. And by the way, I still think he's at risk of this is like, Who's the guy that's going to fall out? It's probably going to be one of him, Bembry, or James Johnson. I just I don't think you can play all these guys all the time. But um, yeah, I'm, I, what's your third point? Uh, it's clearly this is best Claxton game this year. Not even a bait either. Like yeah. I don't really understand why he wasn't playing in the first half because this is a matchup they really need Claxton in, and to not play him in the first half was like extremely weird. But once he got in in the second half, it was pretty clear. Like, he's a big reason why they won that game, just being able to switch against Trey and lock him down and just keep him at bay. And, like, him and KD just, like, taking turns on Trey, it just really helped this team. Yeah, he's such a wild card. I, I want to see the Golden State games and the Phoenix game again, just with him in the mix. I don't I don't want to make it seem like I think he's going to, like, change the outcome because I just – and uh, Phoenix is so good. <laughs> like Phoenix yeah. is great. Golden State is so good. And there's just certain things that are going to be really tough for me to like pick the nets over those two right now. But um, I, I got to say like he, he looks really good. He's the switching thing is just such a huge factor. I mean, he's what one of the two best switch bigs in the league is he, I don't know how, like, I mean, at this point the, in the mix was probably Anthony Davis and Anthony Davis is look, you know, a little creaky this year it's been kind of a weird watch with him so and that's that seems that probably sounds a little crazy but he's he's just an absolute game changer he's you know he stays down on pump fix for the most part uh trey got him a couple of times but you know like uh, as a big man guarding step backs i mean what he does out there is just like it's him and like evan mobley that are doing that stuff yeah i would say like the best switch bigs has got to be bam draymond anthony davis Evan Mobley has been really good this year, but still a rookie, but we probably need to see more of a sample size, but he's still been amazing. But like, he's clearly up there in terms of switch bigs and he still has like small issues that I've mentioned before. Like he has a lot of like happy feet. I don't know if it's like him trying to be predictive and like trying to think like, Oh, this person's about to make a move or he's, it's just something else. He's just trying to keep a rhythm or something, but he moves his feet a ton and it kind of kills him a little bit on these switches, but he's just able to make up for it with his huge wingspan. He is. And he does that thing where he like, he kind of, he fakes his arms out. It looks like he's like yeah. fencing. I think that's the best way to describe it. And I don't, I'm sure mentally it's something that pumps him up, but tactically I feel like it gets him out of position. Like on the plays last night, when Trey got to the rim, there was two, I think at the very end, uh, one Trey scored a layup. The other one, I believe he drew contact. Both of those were situations where he's moving his feet unnecessarily when it's like, you can just stay square and like, you know, why, I don't know why you're putting yourself in that position, but otherwise really sound stuff. He, he looked great. And then on the other side of the floor, I mean, I'm curious what you thought of Harden overall. We'll get into that in a second, but just having that option, even as a guy, that's not a great screener, uh, some of the timing stuff is still kind of off. I thought he was better last night than than at pretty much any point we've seen this year, uh, which is again a small sample. But um, yeah, I, I, I just having him out there is such a different dynamic, and it seems to really get Harden going and and mentally get him in there. 
Yeah, he doesn't. This rest of the roster, in terms of the big men, there's just no lob threat on this team. Like, they threw like one lob to Lamarcus Aldridge. I was dying. <laughs> and it's like, well, I mean, that's that's really it. There's no one on this team that can catch lobs, and he's the only guy that can catch lobs. So it adds like a different threat or dynamic to the team, right? But I think he was fine offensively. He didn't do anything to like really stand out to me, but he did what he just needed to do just dunk the ball, get it, and that's it. Yeah, and I like the aggressiveness that he had. I think he he came out of that dunker spot, caught and spun, and it was all in one motion. And, and uh, you know, I, I uh, he's a young player and he just hasn't played a ton. But man, like instances like that are, are wish kind of what I wish we'd see a little bit more from him. And then I know Alex Sturm put up a clip of him making a read out of the short roll. That granted, it was I think a dump off pass to Bruce Brown uh, on the short roll after I believe Harden was trapped. And um, granted, it wasn't a great pass. like It almost flew out of bounds. But the idea is there. So it, I think there were certain signs of, like, if you can just get him even 5% more acclimated offensively, it's just such a game changer. You don't need him. Like, people are saying, oh, what if he shot threes? Not, like, that'd be great. But just get him to a point where you feel okay about him making plays in space um, if Harden's trapped. And then just the screening and rolling. I mean, if those two things come along even a little bit more, um, I feel pretty good about him just being a regular part of the rotation. Yeah. Like I think having a stretch five is kind of overrated. You don't need a stretch five to have like a successful offense in the league. Right. What's more important for him is like, if he just stays the way that he is and just kind of simplifies role of like, Hey, you're in a donker spot. Hey, you're playing pick and roll. Hey, you can be a short roller. That's totally fine for this team. They just have to fix the spacing issues. And that's just getting, Joe Harris back. Hopefully Kyrie comes back and gets vaccinated. But if they just get people back and just keep him to doing what he's doing, he should be fine. Right. And the short rolling thing with Claxton too, that was there last year. And it's kind of like still the same thing. It's still inconsistent. There are times where he makes the right reads. And there's some times where it's like his processing on the court is a little delayed and he doesn't see like the right play or he doesn't make the right pass where he just forces something. So he still has a lot to learn, obviously, but it's still good to see those like little signs of, oh, okay, you can actually make this short roll pass, even if it's not accurate. Yeah, and and making the pass is big too. Like we don't need to see the uh, whatever the. I mean, he doesn't really take floaters, so it's more of like the mechanical post moves. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I thought it was a good game. I'd like to see more of him. I have no idea why we didn't see him at the beginning. Um, and I, you know, for everybody that thinks that not having a roller is, is whatever, like, no, you need a roller. So you have James Arden out there. Like this is, this is a big thing and, and it's a good way to compensate, um, the loss and burst that I think we've seen from him so far this year. Uh, let's go. What are we at? Three points from you. What do you got? What other notes you got? Uh, the experimentation period for this roster definitely needs to end. I think it's pretty clear who are the best players are on the team now. And it does not include Blake Griffin, Paul Millsap, or Javon Carter. Everybody yeah. else can everybody else can play, but those three guys, I think it's over. Yeah, the the Blake the Blake thing just hasn't worked. Uh, I know he looked good on a couple shots against Houston. That's fine. He's not an above the rim athlete. He's not a shooter this year. So you're playing a six nine guy with short arms in the short role who, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it feels like you're trying to fit in somebody that just frankly isn't a huge piece. And the defense has been better with him on the floor. Uh, granted, I think that a lot of that is lineup based, but, um, and, and just the hot start that they had, like the way that they were defending early on, it's kind of hard for me to take some of those numbers for the first 15 games, but 
granted, they were better with him defensively this year, but um, yeah, he's whatever. And the Millsap thing, this is my formal, this might be it. I might be, I might be selling on Millsap stock. I had a lot of faith. The, the, uh, the footage didn't look too bad in Denver, but he just looks another half step slower. The rim finishing is really bad. I think he's shooting 52% at the rim. That's the seventh percentile at his position. Uh, that's not good. So, and the shooting is like, it just isn't happening. So you have all those things and a scheme. I don't really know what he even plays in. I, I'm ready to take the L. And Javon Carter already took the L. I, I took that like <laughs> about like 10 games in. I was like, all right, I just, I whipped here. <laughs> yeah, it's like Paul Millsap and Blake, is, and we can, we're going to get into this later. It's just like the skill sets. I feel like they would obviously benefit if they had Kyrie and Joe there both playing at the same time where they could probably function more as short rollers. But it's like what you're saying, like the shooting and the finishing at the rim just isn't there, especially for Millsap this year. He's had like multiple times in games this year where it's like he's underneath the rim and he just can't finish it at it. He just can't finish it. And it's like, well, what are you going to be able to do with him? And they can't, both of them can't play a switching scheme because they just lack the lateral quickness and foot speed. So, and they're undersized at centers. They're like, what, six nine, six eight. So you can't really play drop coverage with them. It's just impossible. They're not going to get, be able to get stopped on like lob attempts or things like that or defend the post well enough. So I just don't really know what you do with them at this point, but I don't feel like they should be rotational players at this point for this roster. It's been yeah. pretty clear that James Johnson has been better. Yeah, I talked to Lucas about this last episode. Like Johnson's just doing everything that I think I wanted out of Millsap, pushing the pace and transition, uh, getting into handoffs. He's actually, I thought his rebounding's been pretty solid in spurts, which has not always been the case for him. Um, you know, just making plays, I guess, with the ball in his hands. It, it, he's just done it better than Millsap. The way, big way that Millsap was going to separate things was, you know, as a shooter, which A, hasn't happened. B, he's not forcing rotations. So if you don't have that going for you, then it's like, I don't, I just don't know what you're bringing. So, and I, I'm happy you brought up the short roll thing because we get very excited about the short roll. It's just, it's a, it's maybe it's a fun term, uh, but just ideas making, you know, the idea of making plays uh, in the open floor when somebody gets trapped is awesome until you have meh, we'll call it meh shooters in the corners for the most yeah. part. Like it's just, you know, you're in a tough spot when you're dealing with that. Uh, or, or, you know, if you have a, a defender, um, I guess, you know, playing the gap between two players and really only have to worry about one of them on the weak side. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up because it's just, again, you're trying to fit these guys into roles that I'm just not sure are there for this team. And let me say, I don't, I wouldn't be like shocked if Millsap is not on the roster, if he like doesn't stay in the rotation past the deadline. It's not me like reporting or anything. I'm just sort of like, I don't know. I just, he's, you know, he's, I just, I did, I don't know. I don't know if it, if that's going to be like, he's an older player, uh, came here to play clearly and, and, and win. And he just hasn't seen any time. They finally given him a little bit and it's just hasn't worked. So I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely watching that. I definitely feel like he's had moments of like playing well, like the Bulls game. He had like that 11 point first half. He's had moments where he's like brought the ball up the court and done things. So it's just like, it's not there consistently. And that's the thing that hurts. I think they should at least, if they at least get Kyrie back and Joe eventually gets healthy, I think it would be worth a shot. Just like reintegrating them both and just seeing like, okay, 
Yeah. If you can't do it when Kyrie and Joe are there, if they both come back, then I don't know when are you going to be able to do it. But until that point, they shouldn't be playing. Yeah, I mean, when Kyrie comes back, they're going to have to, like, redo everything like, in a oh, way. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, I mean, and I, I will say, you know, Nash said early on um, that they were kind of trying to figure out things with a completely new team. I know some people came down on him pretty hard, but it's true. Like, they, this is a completely different team, and they had to figure out a lot. And I think we're finally getting a glimpse um, into what this team looks like. Um, we'll talk about some of the guys, I think, on the on the back end and just the uh, – the back, I guess, the back end of the rotation and um, the big men. But I want to get into your fifth point. Uh, I thought this is actually pretty interesting that the Nets are kind of starting to use Katie and Harden as screeners for each other now, which they weren't mm. really doing at the beginning of the season. So, like in this game, they used, they did a double ball screen with Harden as the primary ball handler, and then they had Katie as the first screener and Marcus Aldridge as the second screener, right? Yeah. So they ran that play twice and they had it, they had a completely empty corner on one side. So they had like Bruce Brown and like Patty Mills or Bruce Brown and Cam Thomas all on the strong side. So there's no weak side help there. So then the first time they run in, like the first quarter, they get a lot to the Marcus Aldridge because the Hawks aren't expecting it, right? Then they run the same exact play later. They do the same double ball screen, Katie's first screener, Marcus Aldridge slips. They cover the lob, but then James Harden hits Cam Thomas for an open three that he makes. So I think that's really interesting to see that they're using them as screeners more. The other time that they used it was in the first quarter, they had like an after timeout play. And I haven't actually seen them run this play this year, but they had Harden set a pin down for KD. And then KD immediately curled back and set a pin down for Harden. And Harden ended up getting Trey Young on him as a result. Because then I think Patty Mills handed it off to him, right? So I think it's interesting to see now that they're using both of those guys on ball for screening actions for each other. Because I think the first time they really did it was in the game versus Boston. So it seems like they're Mm. starting to add it a little bit more in the offense, which I think is pretty interesting. So it's definitely something to watch out for now. Yeah, I uh, and they also ran against Dallas. I, I posted the clip. I actually I meant to mention it last podcast. I didn't, so this is perfect. They ran double drag um, w- with KD and Clax screening. So you have a pretty dynamic roller in Clax, and then KD popping as the first screen, I believe, empty corner also. So again, no help on Claxton's role. I and I, that play happened, and like <laughs> there has not been a lot to get excited about play-by-play-wise with the Nets this year. I mean, it's just been a little bland um, and unimaginative, I think, in certain spots. But that play, like, I couldn't believe it when it happened. It was just as exciting watching it back. So I like that they're tapping into that. Using KD as a screener makes a lot of sense just because he is the most threatening pick-and-pop player, I think, on the entire team. Size, shooting, everything just makes him a really – it makes a defense panic if you use him as a screener. And it's not something that's been tapped into much in his career. I think part of that is just KD doesn't want to be setting screens all the t- all the time. But, um, yeah, it's, it makes sense. It forces mismatches, makes the defense panic. Maybe you force a guy to stunt, uh, and, and then he's, you know, kind of off his man, and you can make a play from there. Uh, and then also just using Clax in that situation, I think, it, you know, making those decisions easier for him, allowing him to slip while the defense is worried about another screener, it's it's a smart play. So I'm I'm happy you brought that up, and uh, 
yeah, I, I, I want them to start messing around with screens and ball screens and, and trying different guys other than, you know, whoever. <laughs> LaMarcus yeah. Aldridge for picking pops 100 times a game. <laughs> or running Chicago action over and over again. Oh, my God. Uh, the first two weeks, I th- I honestly was like, I if I watched Joe Harris come off Chicago one more time and be forced to put the ball on the floor and drive into, like, five defenders in the paint, <laughs> I can't do this anymore, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they're still uh, doing it, but it's a lot less. I feel like now. Yeah, like they'll they'll run it early in the game. They they still stick with Chicago. Don't you miss when they were just running scissor action to start every game? It was the absolute best. Yeah, they can't run it this year though because of the spacing issue. Sadly, I don't yeah. think they can make it function. It was they've done it this year though. I think they've done it like maybe one or two times and it's yeah. worked. But yeah, they just can't run it this year because of the roster. Yeah, and I, I mean, you could probably do it with like, and by the way, scissors for you don't know, it's like a split cut action essentially where you have a guy standing and what, around like the nail kind of? At one of the yeah, elbows? Yeah, uh, nail, elbows. And you have two guys screen for each other and, and kind of split in different directions on top. So those guys are making that, that sort of movement around, I guess, slightly above the three point line. So it, it's a cool set. I've clipped it a couple of times. I know you have too. You did an amazing video on that, by the way. You did like a whole video on the evolution of that set. It was so good. So um, I'm hoping we get more of that, man. I want to get more uh, sets that you can break down and and show uh, as the progression happens over the season. It doesn't seem like they're adding a lot of layers to their offense this year, though, because it's just kind of like, hey, KD, run a zipper cut. Hey, run the Chicago action. Marcus Aldridge, we're going to run pick and roll and just bounce pass it to you, and you can take this free throw line jumper. It doesn't. The offense has been really bland this year, so it's kind of been really hard to figure out, like, Oh, I can do a video on this or something like that. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about the offensive, uh, the offensive uh, imagining. I mean, unless you have more on this, I just think like the whole point of one of the things that gets me really excited about uh, the very long, probably a little too long NBA season is watching set progression, watching counters that teams build. Uh, like the Nets ran Spain pick and roll once. I think it worked. I want to say, and I don't remember what game it was. And that's about it. Like, I want them to start playing with things, see what works, you know, borrowing sets from other teams. Uh, maybe you can't make Spain work because of the spacing. I don't know. But um, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't feel like there's been as much tinkering this year. Yeah, it definitely hasn't. Like, we mentioned, like, the Chicago action stuff, for example. It's always, like, Joe, if they run for, like, Harden, it's always Joe's the first screener, and then the Marcus is, like, the second screener, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't you flip the order Right and have Lamarcus roll and then have Joe space out, so someone else has to help mm. on like the weak side or something or like something that they do. I remember they they did this like early in the season where it looks like they're setting up the Chicago action, and since Joe's the first screener, it looks like sometimes he's setting a back screen or he's angled himself to set like a back screen, but then he like flips the screen last second, and then it just goes into the Chicago. Why not do stuff like that? Like have Joe look like he's going to set a back screen and then actually have him slip or make it so that the first guy slips or something, like just to throw a different wrench there. Yeah. Cause teams switch that action a lot. So if you can, if you can, um, you know, rescreen or, or um, slip, that's a, that's a pretty good action. Or you can have him kind of fly out to the corner uh, or, or the guy setting a screen fly out to the corner. Uh, and I just, I don't know. It's, it's very deliberate. I think is a lot of the, a lot of time watching the nets this year. Um, the spacing is what it is, but 
it just the way they align their spacing sometimes just doesn't fully make sense to me. I mean, you don't like seeing James Johnson and like Marcus Aldridge or Bruce Brown occupy the same space. No, I do not like. Uh, what are they? What are they doing recently? They had James Johnson and DeAndre Bembry in the weak side. I'm like, do you want driving lanes? Like, what's going on, oh, here? bro? They had that. <laughs> they had a lineup in the second quarter versus the Hawks where they were just like actively trying to make it hard on Harden. They had Harden, Bruce Brown, Javon Carter. DeAndre Bembry, I think, and, like, James Johnson's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I get the roster issue, but it's like, holy shit, can we get, like, pray for, like, Harden in that lineup, because there's no way he's getting to the lane. Well, he had that quote yesterday being like, he even said it, he just said it outright, like, yeah, spacing hasn't been great. <laughs> I was dying, I was like, good for you, man, I know it's driving him crazy, and, like, look, there have been things that he's done wrong, but, man, like, when you really dive into the footage... And you look at what he's working with sometimes, it's just like, I don't know what he's supposed to do when you have three guys crash into the paint walling up. It's like, what what's he supposed to do in these situations? Yeah. And like, also like some of the offensive stuff, I would, like you mentioned it too, I wish they had like more creativity. Like they could easily do something like a veer action where you have a guy come up from like the dunker spot or the block and just set a ball screen for the ball handler. And then that same screener then just, sets a ball screen for someone in the slot, sets a pin down for a shooter like Joe Harris or like KD or Harden. You can just give them the ball and then they could launch from three or just try to get downhill or something like that. Like, I don't think you mentioned it. I don't even think they ran Spain last year. Like, they, did they, it, just, they did it twice. I, and both times they had Landry Shamit screening who God bless Landry Shamit is not a good screener. <laughs> he set the back screen and I think he whiffed both times. So that's a set. Yeah. I mean, I, this year I'm, I'd like to see it with uh, Patty screening as the back screener. I think that'd be fun because he's a really good screener. Yeah, like this offense, it reminds me of like the first year they had Kyrie where it just felt like they completely gutted the offense. And granted, like I remember the reporting at the time was the net stars were just not trying to have Kenny Atkinson's egalitarian offensive style. Right. And like all I remember from that last year with Kenny Atkinson was they were just running horn sets repeatedly and they were running like motion strong for like Joe Harris repeatedly. And it's like, this is what that kind of reminds me of. They're running like the same exact plays over and over again. And granted it works because you have Kevin Durant, obviously all time great scorer. LaMarcus Aldridge can make free throw line jumpers in his sleep and you have James Harden, but it's like, God damn, man, can we get like some sort of like creativity or anything in the lineup or the offensive sets, I mean? Yeah, so, I mean, here's the hoping. I'm hoping they'll, they, they had a period last year where they were messing with floppy, which I thought was hilarious. That, that's, I, I didn't like it. So, like, it's it's not to say that the offense was 100% perfect last year because I think, I mean, it was really good. Like, obviously, it was the all-time record-setting offense. But, I mean, just in terms of some of the uh, – you know, the, the experimentation of, I guess, not every experiment went well. Uh, but, you know, I at least there was experimentation. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's Gotta definitely fig- harder to experiment now with all the roster stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. But I'm I'm holding out hope. We're, what, 20? How many games are we in? 25? I should Honestly, know this. I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of flown this year. This season's been pretty quick yeah we're basically we're at 24 games right now that's pretty good 26 i can't count uh so it's been it's been flying a little bit uh what's your last point 
I, I understand like Harden has not really cared for defense, but would it kill him a little bit to Woo! try a little bit more on defense? Like Kevin Herter had like three plays in this game where he's the hardest, the primary Kevin Herter defender in this game. And there's like three hardened plays where it's just like, bro, like the end of the half end of the first half, Trey Young has the ball and just Harden's just looking at Trey. Kevin Herter cuts behind him and he gets a three. There's that play in like the third quarter where I think it's like the first one of the first plays Claxton comes in and he's on Trey Young and Kevin Herter's in the weak side corner and he cuts all the way to the strong side corner. James Harden just loses him. And the Nets bench is like pointing at him like, yo, over there. And he doesn't get to Kevin Herter and he gets an open three. And then it's like, come on, man. Like, I understand, like, you have a huge offensive burden for this team. But, like, would it kill you a little bit to try a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, the off-ball stuff is always bad. The on-ball stuff this year is where I it, it just killed. He's such a blow-by guy this year. Oh, my God. And, like... Last year he was too. Let's let's not mince words. But he would at least positionally put himself in the way where he could. And, and granted, Harden defends with his hands. He does not defend with his feet. There's no there's no you know sidesteps. There's no anything. But he at least was able to make it work last year. This year it's like he's not even flashing the hands for his steal. It's just blow by. Hope there's a guy behind me. It's it's been bad. It's been it's been pretty tough. Yeah, I mean the off ball stuff is like. I don't know. KD's had some some mishaps too this year where he's just sort of not always attuned off ball. Um, so I don't know. I mean, KD's doing everything. Harden's doing everything. But, you know, some, just clean up a couple of things and it'll be a little bit easier to watch. Yeah, definitely. And, like, I remember the game against Charlotte this year. That was, like, the low point for me with Harden's on-ball defense where it just felt like Lamelo was, like, repeatedly attacking him in ball screen actions. I'm like... Uh, well, this is not great, but, you know, what can you do? He makes up for it on offense. If I'm a, play, a playoff offense, I'm targeting Harden, like, over and over and over and over. Honestly, like, that's what I'm, I'm putting him in screening action. I'm figuring out, or if he's the primary defender, I'm just attacking him over and over. Uh, and it was like, felt like the Milwaukee series last year where he's basically playing on a grade two, and Milwaukee just didn't want to attack him and it was like i don't know why you're not doing that every single play <laughs> yeah that was weird um can we talk about james harden i know you've got some you've done some like i i can't figure it out this year i mean i i have my ideas i you know when you sit down and you watch his highlights in houston even like not 2019 2020 but or, or 2018 2019 but even just before he got traded um he looks like a dramatically different player versus even when you just turn on his highlights from last night. But I, I want to hear what you have to say about this. All right. So I'm definitely going to preface this by saying I'm not a biomechanics expert. I'm not like no. PD web with it. So <laughs> I could easily be wrong about this, but like, this is my theory onto this. It obviously is rooted in his hamstring and also probably his age, but it also has to do with like how he plays in particular. So when you watch Harden play and he's getting into his ISO dribble bag, right? When you watch him, the thing that he always does is he hinges at his hips, right? So he basically bends with his hips and there's reason for this. It has like multiple benefits for him and just in general. So like one thing it allows him to do, it allows him to like lower your shin angles. So when he's getting into that ISO dribble bag, he like does, I posted a video on this like yesterday, but he really pays attention to like what defenders are doing and how they're reacting to like, Oh, I'm going between the leg, going left to right, going in between the leg again. Right. 
So for example, if Harden's defenders aren't moving their legs and responding to what he's doing with the ball, he can easily like lunge forward with his hips and like he kind of like stunts at him just to create space and then he'll just get us then he'll just step back right the other thing i would say is the other benefit is the center of mass so when you hinge at your hips like harden does it puts your center of mass in front of the ball so the ball is behind you so if a defender wants to reach and try to steal the ball from harden they're going to have to make more of a, more of a commitment, right? Because the ball is behind the center of mass, right? So if you guess wrong on a steal attempt, he can just go by you and it's over. And the last point, and this is probably the one that's most related to maybe his issues this year, is that when he hinges at his hips, it allows him to explode more easily, right? Because you hinge at your hips, all you need to really do is explode with your hips to go by someone, right? Compared to Compare that to someone that's in like a wide stance that's dribbling. So think of like Jimmy Butler or maybe like Damian Lillard. Those are guys that dribble when they're upright. They don't get low into a stance or they don't like hip hinge, right? They're not going to be able to extend their hips. They don't extend their hips to drive, right? So with Harden, if you're hip hinging, your back foot is the foot that you're using yep. to explode off of, right? And obviously that's the foot that he has the hamstring in. He has the hamstring strain, right? So just imagine if you're hinging at the hip and you need to use your hips to explode and that requires you to use your hamstring, right? You're not going to get that burst because of the injury. So do you think he's... That does not sound like something that's going to get better over the course of the season. I'll put it like that. Uh, I mean, maybe. I think... I mean, it's going to come back to Kyrie, but, like, I think having Kyrie there would help just lower his, like, offensive burden so he doesn't have to do everything. But, I mean, this year, honestly, like, when I was looking through his clips, like, late last night, it still feels like the burst is there. It's not like it's Houston Harden, but it's still there, and he still can get downhill. It's just, like, the the rim attempts and the finishing has just fallen off a cliff. Yeah, I don't – I think he's lost, like, it's – it's his lift that I feel like is really taking a hit. Um, I also find his like third. A lot of time for me, it's not the always the first step. It's like the third through fifth steps that sometimes. And I don't know if that's like. I mean, he he always decelerates, but it feels like he's permanently stuck on a deceleration, or his deceleration isn't really throwing off the opponent because he's already kind of moving at a slower pace in the first place. So if he mm-hmm. decelerates, he's just kind of moving slow the whole time. I don't I don't know. I don't I'm just kind of thinking out loud, but that's where I notice it. Guys are just much more able to skate back into the front of him and wall him off, even if he creates an advantage. Yeah, I definitely think because of the way that he plays and how he may have to rely on that back foot, he may just not have like that ability to burst anymore using mm-hmm. his back foot and using his hips to gain like forward momentum that's basically the point i'm trying to make yeah yeah, because of that because of the hamstring injury but i mean like at least in these games it's not like i said it's not like he's houston harden but he still clearly has burst in this game it's just like really inconsistent and i do think like players and teams are doing a far better job at like walling him off and stopping him and that just might be because like the hamstring injury because he's getting up there in age he's like 32 this year i think so it's just like a culmination of different factors. 
Yeah, and even though they've kind of scaled back the rules to a degree, I do think having the change has emboldened guys like a little bit to just, you know, you're, I mean, there's, I just think there's a way to feel like you can stay in front of him a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, I think that's important. Like the, him not having that burst off his back foot all the time, if he's not creating that, then he can't get a defender on his hip all the way. So if he's decelerating, it's actually working in a way where the defender's kind of able to like swing around him and get in front. I don't know. So I, I that that would make sense. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it makes sense. I think I did okay at explaining it. No, it made a ton of sense. You explained it perfectly. Um, and I, I'm I'm gonna upload this. And I'm literally gonna listen to that back and like watch clips while you're. Maybe I'll throw a clip up on Twitter uh, of that of of you explaining this with with a, a hardened clip. That would look pretty good. Um, that's really interesting. Anything else you have on Harden? No, not really. Oh, I would say too that maybe because of his hamstring injury, it's kind of the reason he may not be taking floaters as much this year. Like at the beginning of the year, he was taking a bunch of floaters. And like if you play basketball, well, that's kind of stupid, but if you play basketball, right? A lot of people, you jump off your non dominant leg, right? For Harden, yeah. it's going to be his right leg. But he takes floaters with both, le- both of his legs, right? But when you watch early in season, you can see that a lot of his floaters or a decent amount of his floaters are off his non-dominant right leg, right? And, like, the floaters weren't really working this year. It's kind of hit or miss. So I kind of wonder, too, if that's connected in any way, if he may just not have faith in the leg a little bit and not be able to generate power or whatever. But I don't know. That might be a stretch. Could be. No, I think it could definitely be a mental thing because he's never gotten hurt. So I think yeah. for someone like him who's never had to really rehab – um, the idea of doing it could be a little bit more of a imposing thought, I guess. And, and just the idea of being like, am I fully ever recovered? Cause you think about it last year, I mean, put it, if you step into his shoes, he has this hamstring strain comes back. I think it was against the Knicks um, yeah. and gets hurt within five minutes and then get, and then rehabs comes back against the bucks. Same thing gets hurt in a minute. So I do wonder Maybe that's a part of it too. Is he's playing? He's just worried at any second he's going to go through the same thing and have to redo this whole process. And he's just not somebody that's used to doing that, to going through that process over and over. The way that athletes sadly are, like these guys are kind of conditioned in a way to deal with rehabbing and deal with missing time. Um, which th- I hate that part of sports. It's a part of it, but I hate it because uh, it's just it's just a lot of it seems really um, I don't know lonely and just tough, but. That I think that's a. I wonder if that's a part of it too. Yeah, I think you're framing it better than I was. It's definitely like the mental damage as a result of the injuries, right? And like trying to go through it. So, like, if he goes off his right leg, like, does he have the fear of re-injuring? Does he trust his like right leg to generate power, whatever the case may be? Like, I think that might be a big factor or a small factor in why he may not be taking floaters as much this year, right? But. It's really interesting because he was taking it earlier in the year, and then it's just like at some point he just stopped, right? And it's like, yep. why has it stopped? I think part of it too is like teams have getting smart, gotten smarter and just like, yeah, Harden, you're playing with a bunch of non-shooters, so you're not going to be able to get to the rim and take these floaters or we're going to cut off lanes against you, right? But like he has opportunities to take these floaters and he just doesn't take them. So it's kind of interesting. You know, is it just kind of the impact of the injury, is it or is it something else? Yeah, other thing is these teams have a little bit more time to watch film this year. Uh, no compressed schedule. 
So you're getting a little bit more time to really sit down and see what you're looking at. Um, so I don't know. That's that's. I don't feel great about that take, but it's in there now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> should, I, I haven't talked about Kyrie. I've avoided it like the plague. We are middle, close to middle of December. No Kyrie. Hasn't played. Feel like I need to address it. I haven't talked about it since like media day. Um, I don't even know where to begin. I'm, I, I'll put it like this. I think the Nets are playing the waiting game. They're hoping, hey, maybe this guy will get vaccinated before uh, before the trade deadline. And if that doesn't happen, then who knows? I have no clue what happens. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely really quiet, and they're obviously intentionally quiet. They're not going to give the media anything to go off of the Kyrie. I think it's funny, and I've kind of realized this just over time since he's been on the team. You can put out whatever story you want about Kyrie, and based on how people feel about him, they're just going to make up whatever. It's just funny to watch. Um, regarding that, I really don't know what they do like you. I hope he comes back. I hope he gets vaccinated. Just based on everything, I don't think he's going to get vaccinated. I don't think New York is going to change anything. They just had a mask mandate they just did like yesterday saying you yep. got to wear a mask if you're in public buildings or whatever building you're in. So I don't really think anything is going to change. They're going to have to have a heart to heart with him before the deadline. There's like no way they can avoid it. They're going to have to have him, Josiah, Sean, Katie, Harden just sit in a room and be like, yo, you get vaccinated. Cool. If not, we might have to treat. That's sitting him down though. Like he's not, it's not an easy person to stay in contact with. I think that's a good way to put it. <laughs> I mean, definitely based on last year where he like disappeared for two to three yeah. weeks and the media it's, and like Sean Marks and Joe Sire were like, yeah, uh, we don't know where he is and you guys are going to have to figure it out when he gets put in front of the camera. They weren't lying, by the way. That, there was, that was, none of that was fake. Uh, it was, yeah. It, so, you know, that's, uh, he's just, Kyrie is Kyrie, man. Um, Kyrie kind of marches to the beat of his own drum. It's a cliche we've heard a thousand times. Um, you know, and, and we've, I've done the Kyrie thing so many times that he stands for a lot of great things. He is, he's been pretty exceptional to, you know, uh, media, like as somebody who's a part of that, he's been pretty awesome. Um, you know, just in terms of being polite, answering questions. So I, you know, I, I think in that way, I, I appreciate him for everything that he does, but this is just a bad situation where you have, um, conflicting views that are are just happening to really hinder this team right now yeah i mean it's just a case of like human beings are like really complex individuals how do you like rash it's like how do you rationalize someone that does a lot of good but then they're doing something that's extremely stupid and that's pretty much the case with Kyrie. like vaccine safe you can easily get it there's no reason to not get it right you can keep yourself safe and reduce risk and save, help protect your family. But I mean, freedom of choice isn't freedom of consequences and he's dealing with the consequences right now. And indirectly the team is too. But I mean, like they're gonna have to figure out a way to just sit down with him or come in contact with him and just be like, yo, if you don't get this vaccine or if you're not willing to play and we're not willing to adjust to what we're going to do for you and try to accommodate you, like let you play on the road, then like you're going to get traded or there's a possibility you might get traded. And at that point, I don't know what the hell is trade value. Like that's yeah. just like, 
That's just a game I don't want to play because it's like there's no point. Uh, I I've always thought of him as like kind of just a you know this kind of like a trade <laughs> exception where what like are you gonna give up a a player of value um, for Kyrie? I don't. I really it's don't a know. huge risk. I mean, it, so that that becomes pretty tricky. And maybe they just say, "Hey, we're gonna take a contract we don't feel great about for this guy." But then it's like, what are you doing long term? Um, at a certain, if if the guy's not like, if you're getting a, a contract that isn't great that you don't feel good about long term, and and maybe it's a guy that's not good enough to push you over the top, then why are you doing that? Like, maybe you should just roll this over at a certain point. Um, or, or people bring up the playing games on the road. I, that's just not happening. I'm sorry. It's not. It's that's not happening. <laughs> I, I thought it would have been realistic to do it at the start of the year where I think there have been two lines of thinking. If you did what they did, you're pretty much banking on him being isolated and really missing the NBA experience and camaraderie, which by all accounts, it doesn't seem like he misses it. And if you mm-hmm. let him play, it's basically like a gateway where it's like, okay, I can experience the NBA, I can put on a show, I can play with my teammates and all that, but I don't get the full experience, right? And I can understand, like, I can rationalize both lines of thinking, but now I feel like it's way too late for them to say, yeah, you can play with us on the road. I think, like, I know people are saying it on Twitter, like, yeah, guys, why don't you just let him play on the road? This is the easy solution. I really think it's a lot harder than just, like, hey, bro, play on the road. Like, they got, he's going to have to learn this whole team and learn how to play within this team. And it's like, and this team is going to have to learn how to play with him. There's obviously like Katie and Harden and Joe and Claxton, like those guys know how to play with Kyrie, but like the rest of this team doesn't. And then you take into account, like, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think teams practice that much when they're on the road or just during the NBA season. Right. No. So how are you guys going to implement Kyrie properly into this team and have him get integrated. If well, he can play practice. in their facility, if I'm correct. Yeah. I believe. I believe yeah. he could play there. So, so he could practice. So I, so I get that, but still, it just seems. I I think it's weird to play with a different team on the home. Yeah, the home and on the road. I don't like people are kind of being like, "Oh, it's great, you'll be better on the road." I'm like, that's a really weird dynamic. Like you, every home game just feels like an away game. And if they have home court advantage, doesn't that kind of hurt them in the playoffs? It's just, it's ridiculous. Like, I, I every time I map this out, I'm like, this is just not going to work this way. I'm sorry. It's not. <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, unfair to the team. It's like, like you were saying, like, if they play on the road, they're one team. If they play at home, they're a completely different team. And people are going to have to adjust to the roles on a night-to-night basis. And, like, yeah. I was looking... I was looking at the schedule before we started this, right? And if they really want Kyrie to come back, they need him to come back in like mid-January, early February. Mm-hmm. Because they have like a huge road stretch during those periods. And then like to end the season during like March and April, they're primarily at home. So he's not going to be able to play a lot. So if they really want Kyrie back or really want to engage in that idea of like, hey, we want to let you play on the road, they kind of have to do it at the beginning of January to give them a ramp up, or at least at the beginning of February. But, I mean, I just don't think they're going to do it. I just think it would be unfair to the players. Like, I'm sure they want him back, but to have them go through, like, yeah, you're one team this night, and then you're the other team this other night, 
and all your roles are in constant flux because one player is in and out the lineup is kind of rough, personally. Yeah, I, there's a line of thought that that the Nets did this out of like principle, like it's a principle thing. Oh, where it's and by the way, that is a factor. Uh, there are a team. That, I mean, everybody has to be vaccinated within that organization. They've been very pro vaccination, so I think that's a part of it. But I think it's what we just talked about. Like, it's just really discombobulating to, like, you're gonna have kind of a, a mentality when you're at home of, oh, we don't have our full squad, so we'll see how this goes tonight. That's it. That's at home in the Barclays Center. If you're in a playoff, it's bizarre because you know you're you have a better squad on the road. I don't know. It just it's it's it just seems kind of untenable to do it that way. And 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 they made that decision early, and I just I don't think they're gonna go back on it. Um, should we should we touch on the roster construction and like what they're going to do with the deadline? Because um, I, I I I I don't have much on this. I'm curious what you think. Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, where should we start? I don't. I think the roster is obviously flawed, and it obviously gets exemplified or gets heightened because Kyrie's not there, Joe's not there, right? So no one really deserves any sort of blame for the roster or singular blame, but. I think it can be dished out a little bit. Like Kyrie is obviously one just get vaccinated guy. Like if you get, if he gets vaccinated, the weaknesses or the, yeah, the two weaknesses that I think exist on this roster still exist, but it's a lot less noticeable. At least one of them is right. Uh, the other person I would kind of blame is Joe Sai. And I don't know if you can confirm this. I think you've confirmed it before, but if they had a real opportunity to get Kyle Kuzma in that three-team deal with Dinwiddie and the Lakers, they really fucked up not getting. Yeah, they should have done that. They should have done like, that. They should not have dumped four picks to to get rid of DeAndre. Um, we'll see if that TP use, gets used. I'm going to say it probably doesn't. I'm going to say I talked to Mike Scotto of, uh, of Hoops Hype about the TPEs, and he was leaning towards they're probably not going to be used. So look, I mean, they're kind of they're cutting costs in a way. I get it. You had these three max extensions on the table, at least. <laughs> we'll see what happens with one of them. But you know, those are your avenues for improvement. You know, the 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 contracts that they had Spencer Dinwiddie in a in a sign and trade, um, and then DJ too, and it just didn't really get anything. Yeah, and like it's crazy because Kyle Kuzma like legitimately. It's so oh. many of the needs like the Nets need right now. Like he's a rotational player, can shoot the three, can actually attack a closeout, which none of the front court can really do this year outside of Joe and Katie. And he's like one of the best rebounding wings in the league. And this team sucks at rebounding. So it's like he fits good. He fits legitimately every need the Nets need right now. And they could have had him and it's like nope. Wasn't Contavious Caldwell Pope also a possible part of that? Yeah, I like? Case, yeah, I think KCP was like rumored too. I think Dude, like forty percent from three, uh, solid defender. I think I think you'd uh, you'd put him in there in place of Bruce or Bembry, maybe both, probably both. Um, yeah. So that's that's tough. Those guys would have been really good on this team. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's hard for me to say, like, Joe Sy's cheap because, like, this team is going to be paying a crazy luxury tax bill and going to be in the repeater tax. But, like, that's a real trade that's a real opportunity, I should say, that they fucked up. 
and they missed out. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's like you. This is your year, kind of. Um, yeah. So that's a tough. It's just tough. It's tough. Um, and that's those those little moves on the margins are going to be felt so much more if Kyrie doesn't come back. And it like nobody saw the Kyrie thing coming. I mean, there's yeah. just what what can you do about that? But man, it's like you look at a decision like that, you feel that a lot more. Yeah. Um, I think Sean Marks kind of deserves like some small blame. I know people don't want to blame him because it's like everybody's pointing to Kyrie and Joe being out, but like the roster construction this year is like a huge, or at least like a decent overcorrection to the Bucks series yes. last year. Yes. And they didn't really solve anything. Like, no. So by the way, the, the Bucks next- are different this year. They just have way more shooting and they're going to stretch you out more. <laughs> Yeah, I do wonder about the Bucks. Like, I know Grayson Allen has been really good for them this year, but I do wonder, like, can he actually stay on the court in the playoff series? So, like, if they play the Nets again, like, Harden and KD are just going to attack him. Yeah. Like, that's So I do wonder, like, can he play in a playoff series? But he clearly has value as a floor spacer that's really good for them. Yeah. Right? But, like, this roster is a huge overcorrection to last year's series versus the Bucks. They lack size. They didn't rebound well. They got killed on the offensive glass. And they're still getting killed on the offensive glass. So, like, on NBA stats, they have it as the Nets have a defensive rebounding percentage of 72.1. So their opponents get an offensive rebound percentage of 27.9, which is actually worse than last year. So teams are still doing better on the glass than this team last year and they got bigger right and the problem too is like they have a bunch of front court players that overlap in skill sets right? yeah blake griffin paul Millsap, and james johnson none of which space the floor they all have passing skills but they all can't kind of be unlocked and they all can't play at the same time they're all groundbound players so you can't have them be like rollers to the rim in most cases like you can't have them throw up lobs or you can't have them catch lobs from like harden or something right so I just don't know what you do with those, those guys like Blake and Millsap in particular, right? You can't space the floor reliable. You can't, yeah, you can't space the floor reliably. You can't finish at the rim reliably. Um, you can't really unlock their passing in the same way that James Johnson has, who's done a really good job. Like he really understands that like, oh yeah, teams are going to play off me. I can just do this full bounce pass to Kevin Durant and go in his direction or Patty Mills, right? But yeah, if you can't space the court or finish at a high rate or a league average rate, like what do you do with those guys? They're just really redundant. Yeah, I mean the other thing is like all these guys that they brought in, none of them are like elite historical rebounders. You know, they're they're mid-tier or below, I think for the most part. Paul Millsap's probably the best of the bunch, but we talked about Millsap just looks kind of vertically shot now. So you have that, and then you these, you know, their roster was built off their bigs kind of being able to space. That was my mm-hmm. impression when I came in. Oh, okay, so your spacers are going to be Paul Millsap, Blake Griffin. You're going to be running a bunch of pick and pops uh, or, or, or whatever, having those guys make plays in the short roll and, um, and, and kind of making plays from there. And that just hasn't happened. I mean, those two guys falling off a cliff from deep has been about as detrimental as it gets for this team. And... Um, and 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 this is kind of what it's turned into is now you have a lot of utility guys playing together because you just can't play what how many of their acquisitions can't play right now uh 
or 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 guys that they've brought back two three Javon Carter yeah it's not great <laughs> so yeah um, and and by the way like you had Kyrie and I think obviously they're better but everybody criticized the Nets last year for being the uh, oh like is there's only one ball you know that which was ridiculous a big part of that was they had such good spacing last year that you could just play in and out in a lot of ways and I feel like this year if you have Kyrie out there I I I'm going to assume it's going to be a little more isolation heavy because you're just going to have to run into that. Yeah. I definitely feel like this year is basically how people thought they would play last year. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, like it's a lot of like Kevin Durant at the elbows. I have a small guy on me and I can just shoot over him or like James Harden, I'm going to do pick and roll or I'm going to isolate. Right. And last year, it wasn't that. They were doing a lot. There was a lot more fluid ball movement and things of that nature, hitting short rollers like Bruce Brown, things like that. So I think definitely, like, the idea that people had about the Nets last year is what they are this year. And they have to be that because there's just a lack of offensive talent because of the roster and just the situation they're in. What do they do about this? What's what's the move? What What can they do? Get Joe Harris healthy and hope Kyrie gets vaccinated. And if not, trade Kyrie for 75 cents on a dollar. And I don't like I I don't know what Kyrie trade looks like. Like the wow. I don't even know like who would really entertain it. Like he's on a one-year deal basically for like $36 million. You have to take into account that he he may just like straight up disappear for like two weeks unannounced. I don't know what you really do or what team would really be interested. The only team that I can really think of that can be like, this makes sense a little bit is like Houston. If you just take back Houston's bad contracts and be like, Hey, give us Eric Gordon, give us Daniel Tice, give us like whoever else is just salary filler and we'll take it. That's the only trade I can think of. Like I see people say the Pelicans deal with like Josh Hart and Jonas Valanciunas. I think if the Pelicans were like a just dumpster fire the whole season and they were just trash, I think they would be panicking maybe and like maybe engage in that trade. But I think they've kind of stabilized now that Brandon Ingram's back. And if you're them, I think you just wait for Zion to come back and see whatever the hell they have before you make any rash decisions. Yeah. Especially, especially because they were looking for a point guard in the off season. Right. They were, they were trying to get Chris Paul. They were trying to get Kyle Lowry and they thought they were in those races for whatever reason when they really weren't. But I mean, if they really want to take that leap, maybe the Pelicans would engage in that trade in the off season. But right now it doesn't really make much sense, especially if you don't, especially if like Kyrie's not going to play or whatever the case it is with him, right? You should just wait to see what Zion can do with the team. But like, other than that, I don't really know what you can do with this contract. And just his situation. Yeah, you got to send him to to Texas or Dallas or Texas or uh, Florida. <laughs> I feel like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, which you know limits your options. And you're looking at Dallas KP trade. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not good. It's yeah. So, so I don't know. And then the, I guess the only other trade chips you're looking at are are Cam and Clax. I guess. Because people got to stop putting Javon Carter in trades. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. It's not happening. It's just, you're not getting anything of value for Javon Carter. Uh, so it becomes Clax and Cam. I think they need Clax. I mean, you obviously trade him for something, but what's his value versus what you could potentially get from him? 
I think the case, and I was saying this earlier, I would have, my hot take if they did this scenario in the draft or if this scenario uh, happened is if the Nets were able to get Garuba or Isaiah Jackson in the draft, I think they would have clearly been planning for like Claxton's exit. Because mm. I, I remember specifically in the pre-draft, Isaiah Jackson was talking about like, they do like those little pre-draft interviews with the media. And I think someone asked him about the Nets and he was like, yeah, the Nets really like me, but they know I'm not going to be there for their pick when they pick at like 28 or whatever, right? And he fits the scheme really well. And same thing with Garuba too as well, right? Yep. But like Claxton's going to be a restricted free agent at the end of this year. I don't know what his value is. I kind of think that if it's, I hope he gets as much money as possible to be clear. But if I were the Nets, I wouldn't really go higher than like Robert Williams or Rashad Holmes's contracts. I feel like those are pretty good baselines. That's high end too. Yeah, that's really high end. Like, I feel like that's a pretty good baseline for where Claxton should be getting paid and are they going to pay him? Like, I don't know. He's a really good player. He's really important to this team, but I think it's going to be a conversation going into the offseason. They didn't extend him. How much are they willing to spend on a non-role player that's not like Joe Harris? And do they have real means of replacing him? Like, are they going to sit Dayron Sharp year two behind Marcus Aldridge and Nick Claxton? I don't know. That's not, I don't know if they would take Dayron Sharp to do that, but We'll see. Maybe he takes over the Marcus later. Yeah, and like, people people were definitely got some like eyebrows of them taking Daron Sharp. I uh I don't know. Clax is Clax is a weird the Nets are like really pretty firm about where they stand on you know what they feel like they want to offer a guy. So I, I it, it seems like they're just sort of in prove it mode, I think, in a way with Clax. Like the Nets definitely want to see more from Clax. They there's there's a sense that there's another level for him, and he really hasn't reached it. Um, I think within the organization, so for him, these next couple months are going to be really big. It's going to be really big, even up to the trade deadline. Like just if he can look, and by the way, he's he's got a difficult salary that yeah, not going to do it. He he'll be paired with other things. Like he'll be paired with Kyrie, uh, <laughs> somebody like that 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 I think that's where he, that's that's where you'd see him moved. Um so I, I'm curious about that. Yeah, you can't just trade Claxton alone because of salary so he's like making what two million dollars. Yeah. So you're not gonna get any you can only take about like the same salary he's making. So you're not gonna get any player that's better than him for like two million dollars. Yeah. So and they yeah. they they've done that last year. They did that with Landry, I guess for uh Javon Carter, but off season. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they probably knew like they weren't going to pay Landry Shaman. And I think a big part of that too was like they really needed another guard in that series versus the Bucks with Kyrie being out and Harden being on one leg just to like play quality minutes. And like they couldn't play Landry Shaman. Like every time he stepped on the court, it was like, hey, Drew Holiday, here's the ball. Go attack Landry Shaman in the post. It's like they couldn't play him. Yeah. And I think like Landry Shaman's like a good NBA rotational player, but it's just. I don't want to pay Landry Shamit $11 million. The Suns did. <laughs> yeah, like, I can't blame the Nets for being like, yeah, I don't want to pay Landry Shamit $11 million. Like, yeah. That, yeah, that's a tough pill to swallow. No, it is. He's a, he's good at what he does, but I I don't know what the, the next level is for him, and just he's kind of a seventh, eighth man. Um, do you think the TPEs get used? 
People are talking about, oh, we could get Kyle Anderson. By the way, I like that you said this. I think you said on Twitter, Kyle Anderson wouldn't be an awesome fit. I'm kind of with you. I don't think he'd be a great fit. I think, I mean, the two lines of thinking that you would have for using a TP is like you either get the best player available or you get the cleanest fit. I think Kyle Anderson is probably the most realistic because if you just look at like everything Memphis has done since the offseason, it's pretty clear that they're kind of prepping to give they already gave Jaron Jackson the extension and they're prepping to give John Morant the future extension, right? So they're just clearing a bunch of future caps saying, Hey, we're not paying Jonas Valanciunas. We're going to get off his contract in the off season, take back Steven Adams, do asset accumulation. And they draft Zaire Williamson, who I like, I actually really like, and he's probably going to be the starting small forward for this team going forward or probably going into like year two, maybe. So you would think like, they're probably not going to pay Kyle Anderson you know, they could probably just trade him into the TPE. He's probably the most realistic, but I do think if Memphis really wanted to get off Kyle Anderson, they could get real value for him. And that's kind of where I have the issue with like a lot of players. Like I see a lot of Nets fans say like Justin Holiday is a guy that they could get with Indy doing like a retool or a rebuild. It's like, he's on a really good contract. He's like on a $6 million contract and like every contender in the world would want him. So why would the Pacers just throw them into a TPE, right? When they could probably get like two seconds or something like that, right? Yeah, with the play-in tournament, there's a finite number of players now that you think are going to be available. Like I'm, I'm that's something I'm going to be watching pretty closely over the next couple of seasons with this play-in tournament being um, introduced and just sort of become a bigger part of how teams prepare year to year. Um, I, I so you look at that, you look at you know the guys that are going to be available. I don't know how many guys are going to be relative to previous years. Uh, granted, it was pretty robust last year, but uh, at least it was, it was last year's trade deadline was busy, right? I, all the years just mixed together for me at this point. <laughs> uh, I don't even remember last year's deadline. I don't, I don't say it wasn't. It's just so long ago now. I don't know. We've had like 10 seasons in two years, so I have no clue at this point. But uh, regardless, it just, I don't know. I think you're looking at a, a finite number of resources uh and a tpe like it's pretty hard to use those they don't get used often so um yeah i'm I'm in the mind i don't think they're gonna get used i also don't know if they want to use them to be honest i mean they should if they're all in and they can't get Kyrie back in the building but i think if like i do think kyle anderson's probably the most realistic one and if that's like their only good and real option they should just take it and run like yeah that the one name that i thought of and I don't think this happens because I think the Knicks are going to be really petty about this. Like, I think Kemba Walker could actually, like, help this team to, like, a real small degree. Interesting. I'm intrigued. I don't, I don't think, like, the Knicks would do it because I think they're just going to be petty and be like, yeah, we're not giving you to our neighboring team and you're going to cook us repeatedly. But I think, like, he would just help, like, ease the burden for, like, James and kd he's obviously not Kyrie, and he's obviously not like the charlotte kemba walker but like he has some on-ball creation skills like this team does need Mm. only thing that would be difficult would be like what do you do with like a backcourt rotation now like you would have Harden, patty and then kemba's like defense is definitely not going to be great but at least for like the regular season it would be helpful that's interesting i I don't know where he fits. I'm pretty cold on the uh, on the backcourt, the the defensive issues. I think you run a pretty big risk there. 
just the idea of watching Harden with Kemba together after watching what we saw. Because the Knicks said the same thing. They're like, all right, we have good defenders on this roster. Uh, if we, you know, we're going to put Fournier and uh, Kemba together and there's going to be enough here. And it just like, it just didn't function that way. But I like the idea of the spacing. I mean, that, boy, it'd be nice to see <laughs> like a real shooter on this team. Another one. <laughs> oh, you know, it's crazy. I mean, the thing with the Knicks though, is like, it's not necessarily, I think the big thing for them is just like the three-point shooting, opposing three-point shooting switch to like the craziest degree. Yeah. Right. Like they were like the best mark last year. And like this year, they're like one of the worst marks in terms of opponent three-point shooting. So they definitely have been hit hard by that. And I think that's the big reason. So like, I don't think when they bench Kemba, I don't think he was the entire issue. Right. So I think he's kind of getting blamed unfairly because the same issue still exists for that team. Like they're still giving up a ton of threes. Opponents are still hitting a crazy amount of threes. Right. So I think like it would be worth an investigation of like, Hey, can you get Kemba? If like you can't get anything else, but I don't think it would happen. It's interesting. I'm going to have to sit on that. I'm, I'll get back to you on this. What I think I'll probably, I'll message you in a couple of days. I'll get my final thoughts. Uh, speaking of final thoughts, let's, let's talk about Cam Thomas. Um, had a good game yesterday against the Hawks. A uh, couple, two catch and shoot threes and a step back. I think it's, he had, what do you have? 13, 11, 13. I should have this pulled up right now. Uh, regardless, a good game. I, it was kind of the stuff you want to see from him where he's, you know, fitting in alongside the stars, um, and, and also playing his game to a degree, but I just, I want to get your thoughts. What have you thought of him so far? I think he's done better than I expected him to. I thought, well, to be clear, I should probably say this. I didn't want Cam Thomas in the draft, right? I just, I was under the context of the team or the pretense of the team that if they have Kyrie, Harden, Katie, I don't think they're going to need another ball handler on this team. And then you add Patty Mills to the mix later. It's like, where is he going to get minutes on this team? Mm-hmm. But now they actually like really need him, which is helpful that they have him. But I think he's fit in pretty well, all things considered. I think he's playing like within himself, like LSU cam, just firing up all the threes and all the jumpers. And this year it's like a lot more tamed, right? He's playing with Katie and playing with Harden. So he's not like forcing the issue as much. So I think that's been pretty good. Um, I think you've noticed it too, but it's just hilarious how like when he's going through his shot prep, sometimes his feet are angled to the sidelines and not the rim at all. And he still makes those jumpers. I don't really understand how that's working, but that's certainly an interesting thing. Um, Defensively, I would say the good thing has been he hasn't stood out in like a bad way, which is definitely a bonus for the Nets. Like I was fully... I was full on expecting him to be just a mess defensively. And it's not like he's been picked on. It's not like he's just blowing coverages or anything like that or losing guys off ball. There's certain things that he can be better at, like closing out or like things like that. But he's still been pretty clean and he's not getting abused. So I think that's the best thing going for them. Like that's a real positive for them. The other thing too that I find interesting, I haven't really seen people notice this, like, he has a little bit of like wasted motion in his jump shot. So if I noticed this in the Celtics game that they played, cause that was like the first real game that he started to get minutes. If I'm recalling that correctly. Right. But if you watch him play and you watch him get the ball on the right side on his right side, sometimes, right. 
or if he just gets the ball in general on his right, sometimes he brings the ball down all the way to his left quad knee area, and then he has to bring it all the way back up to his right side when he's shooting jumpers, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like a little bit of like wasted motion with his jumpers that maybe the Nets could like fix, you know, in the off season or something. But that's something that's really small that I've kind of noticed. But other than that, I think he's actually been pretty good. He's been really explosive. He has like some pop off the dribble and on drives, but you kind of wish like other people have noticed that instead of like taking these floaters and contested twos or mid-range twos, he kind of gets to the rim a little bit more. But other than that, he's been pretty good. And like the team really needs him now. So that's important. I'm so happy you brought that up. Yeah, that was the main thing. He's shooting really well from the in-between zone. Uh, I believe he's around 50, 40, probably 40, somewhere in the 40s, uh, anywhere in there. Uh, but he's he's drawing fouls at an elite rate. Uh, he's drawing fouls on 8.5% of his shots. Uh, only Jalen Green, uh, Brandon Boston Jr., who, by the way, is so fun, uh, Shangoon, and, yeah, it's only those three are better. So that's three rookies ahead of him in his class at drawing fouls that's carried over from college. It's carried over from summer league. So I think that's exciting. You want him to put his head down and and draw contact, slow the game down a little bit, and just get to the rim. I mean, just anybody that can get to the rim is appreciated on this team. So um, I think that's exciting. I'm curious. I... His catch and shoot, he's shooting 29.6% off catch and shoots. Um... It can be a little inconsistent, as you said. Me and Lucas talked about this last episode, um, kind of talking about how much elevation he gets on his shot. I also brought up his elbows. I, I don't know. These are small things. Maybe it works for him, and that's kind of the beauty of shooting is that sometimes weird forms just work for certain guys. But have any of those things stood out to you? Yeah, outside like the waste of motion, I definitely think his form is a little funky, like you guys have mentioned, but I haven't really been able to like pinpoint what's weird about it. So that's definitely something I think I got to look into a little bit more. But yeah, like the catch and shoot shooting has definitely been interesting. He shot like 25% before the Hawks game. So definitely the Hawks game helped a little bit, but I think that's going to be the big thing for him. Can he make those catch and shoot threes and make sure that teams can pay when they're helping off him and trying to make it so that Katie can't get off a jumper or can't drive or same thing with Harden. Yeah. That's his ticket to, to minutes, like to put it bluntly, that, that is going to be the swing skill for him. It's what will really guarantee him 10 to 12 minutes. I think even after they get Joe Harris back, if, if he can do that and the defense, I mean, it's been solid on ball. Trey had a couple blow buys against him is what it is. Trey's really quick. Uh, I haven't, Hey, I thought I was going to be really bothered by him off ball, um, on back cuts and stuff like that. Hasn't stood out yet. Granted, we got a small sample. We'll see. Uh, but he's been, he's been trying really hard. It seems like he really wants to fit in, which I think is good. He's rebounded. I thought he's had some pretty nice, uh, rebounds in traffic. The passing is what it is, but he's at least not looking off KD. I think that's a good way. Like if he sees yeah. KD has a good matchup in the post, he'll like make the entry pass. All you need, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. But he's been definitely been good. He's definitely really helped this team in a time where they really need some like offensive juice. Well, and he's also fun to watch. Like having him and Claxton is just so as a viewer, I love it. Like, cause it's just, they've been kind of, They've been a little boring this year, I think is a good way to put it. Yeah, 
I definitely like were I was definitely like more invested in the rookies this year than previous years because it's like and Claxon obviously, but I already knew like Dave Ron wasn't gonna get minutes. But like you kind of know how this team was gonna play, but and you want to see like the development of those young guys. So now that like Claxon's getting minutes and he's back and like Cam is getting minutes, it's definitely a little bit more interesting to watch the team. I want to watch Kessler Edwards so badly. I hope he gets minutes at some point, but this team knows more about him than I do. Yeah. I think he could be a real player for the team, but I mean, if they're not playing him, they have good reason not to. I think. I think that I think the on-ball stuff is like is not been great so far. Like there, it's it's the worry of well, if this guy gets run off the line, what happens next? Type of thing. It I mean, seems yeah. like they like guys with, that can do stuff with the ball in their hands and keep the offense humming. They need to make him a glorified PJ Tucker, and oh, like, like they that. could, they they can do that with Harden. Just have him sit in the corner or have him sit in the slot and just hey shoot threes when you get the ball. That's all they need him to do, and he could probably do it because he shot like forty percent last year from three in college. That would require uh, attention to the spacing, which I think we've touched on a little. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to touch on? Uh, so one thing I would say is that. Like when we were mentioning earlier, like who deserves blame for the roster construction, I don't want to make it seem like I'm just blaming Sean Marks and Josai and Kyrie because there's a lot of things on this roster that have just happened that there's no way they could have accounted for. Like Blake Griffin's three-point shooting just going off the cliff. Like maybe we could have seen that coming because like I think last year was his best three-point shooting year. And obviously the circumstances with no fans and things for the majority of the year. So maybe we could have seen like a slight decline coming, but like the decrease in three-point shooting that he's had this year has been really bad and really significant for this team because he was like a legitimate, respectable force facer last year. And now he's just kind of not. Um, Bruce Brown hasn't been great this year on offense. Like we mentioned it earlier, the roster construction really doesn't help him. You can't really use him as a short roller. And this year, I don't feel like he's been as great off ball with his cuts. There are like moments where you see him like running into Kevin Durant or like being in places where, oh, he's like in this area where Harden's driving to and his man can come up and just stop Harden's drive or something, right? So he hasn't been great as off ball. Javon Carter is like the same thing where people thought like he could be a actual playoff rotational guy replace Bruce Brown and provide like more offense in the playoff series. And he just really hasn't been that guy this year. Like Kyrie being out, obviously. And then like Joe being out, like there's just so much that has like gone wrong for this roster. Like Nick Claxton being out too for the yep. majority of the year. There's been just so much that has gone wrong for this roster. And yet it's like they're number one in the East. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a good concluding statement to, um, to, to 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 I guess leave with because um, it is like it is pretty much everything that you didn't want to happen in a championship year has happened aside from like KD getting hurt which like knock on wood does not happen uh, so I think that's a good point I, I do agree still I do hold the belief that they did kind of over prepare a little bit to a degree for Milwaukee um, what made the Nets so special last year was their spacing and they just gave themselves less wiggle room this year. Um, if something like Blake Griffin's shooting fell off or, or, or whatever. Um, but no, I'm, I'm happy you said that. I, I don't want to like trash on marks. Cause I, 
they and they have an identity to a degree. Like they have a good defense. They've improved that. I wouldn't say it's an elite defense, but it's it's solid. So they accomplished part of it. But I I do wonder, depending upon where this season goes, if we're going to look back and say, man, as much as it's great that they improved certain aspects of their roster, I I do wonder if they lost their identity. And by the way, they're not the only team in the league that did that. The Knicks, I think, are suffering through that right now. The Lakers have done that like year after year. They've just chipped away at what was an awesome identity and core. So it's hard to do. It's not easy to to realize what you are, and, and it's it's also I think human nature to want to improve on your flaws. But um, you know it'll it'll be interesting to see how it plays out if if that decision compromises anything. The defense is definitely getting lucky. I looked at it earlier. Opposing teams are shooting thirty percent from three against yeah. the Nets this year. I don't and buy all of it, <laughs> and that's a lower mark than what the Knicks had for their entire season last year. So wow. they're like the Knicks, I think were like 32%. So they're definitely getting extremely lucky with the defense. But, and that's I think the best like, thought of, that's the best stat on the whole pod right there. You and brought it. Like, I think they have actually looked better defensively. I do think they're kind of doing the same thing they did last year, where it's like, they have moments where it's like, eh, they're not trying. They're just like kind of going through the motions. And then they just have moments where it like clicks really easily. Like the Hawks game yesterday, like once Nick Claxton came in, everything switched. Like another example is like the game that they played in Cleveland this year where they had bench Blake Griffin and Jamon Carter. And then they started switching up matchups and putting like Katie on Jared Allen. Then things started switching. Like when this team can lock in defensively, I think it's good. But like they're getting a little bit lucky. Like no, the I three totally point agree. shooting is definitely luck. Yeah. The Dallas game was like emblematic of that. It's just like down the stretch, wide open Dorian Finney Smith corner threes where he shoots forty five percent from are are going back rim. So yeah, I uh I don't know. I, I, I think the defensive gear like the gear feels a little higher this year. Yeah. For it sure. feels like it's it just goes a little higher this year. Um but no, I mean, that's a good stat, man. You just blew my mind right there. <laughs> you have any concern for the offense in like the playoff series? So this is from Dunks and Three. So they have their 29th in the rim rate at 29%. So they're only above Dallas. They're 28th in mid-range rate. And they're only ahead of Phoenix and the Spurs. And they're 21st in three-point rate. So do you um, think you have... I'm not really concerned about the mid-range rate because they have Kevin Durant and Marcus Aldridge, so it kind of balances out a little bit because they're just so good. But the three-point rate for the season and the rim rate is like, I don't know about that. That's pretty concerning. I'm concerned about that if LaMarcus Aldridge, it depends on who they play, right? Like Mm -hmm. if LaMarcus Aldridge is a near no-go or just – getting just getting put in disadvantageous situations defensively then you're losing a big part of your mid-range arsenal and then from there it's like okay now we're really leaning into the kd thing so i i agree i i worry about the defense is it partially because of the shot profile yes but it's more so because of the weaponry i just it's one of your biggest weapons the marcus 
is going to frankly be a matchup guy. And the other, James Harden, is very dependent on driving lanes, of which you have very few of right now. And then there's Kevin Durant. So we And we saw this movie last year. Like, you can ride the KD thing for a couple games, but that's a really strenuous way to, to use Kevin Durant to say, hey, we're running everything through you. And they're already doing it. Like, no, it's December right now. They were starting to do that in, in November. Yeah, they're playing him crazy minutes. But they kind of have to because if one of those guys are out, they're just screwed. Yeah. They yeah. just have no offense right now. You want to hear I'm another bad? Okay, so you want to hear another bad stat? Lay it on me. So since Joe Harris has been out, they are shooting the second worst from three, 30%. 30.7% from three on the second lowest attempts only behind the Spurs at 29. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> like they really have moved into like the mid range. Please save us. Kevin Durant and Marcus Aldridge. It's tough. It's it tough. is. It is. Everybody, really everybody's know. saying trade Joe Harris. It's like, yo, you need you Joe really Harris. <laughs> Like if you, you really trade Joe that? Harris, if you trade Joe Harris, you better be damn sure you're getting someone that can be Joe Harris. Because yep. if you don't get Kyrie back and you just trade Joe Harris for some upgrade at a different position, you just have no shooting. Yeah. No, that that's that's that is that's that's wild. Uh how much of an impact he makes. It's funny, they were leading the league in three point percentage. Granted, the volume wasn't I think they were around like 19th 20th in, ter- in terms of threes taken the threes they were taking they were making it's because joe harris just doesn't miss so yeah i don't know the offense is troubling i'm we'll see we'll see what they can do in the deadline if if they do anything uh it's they're they're pretty i i don't know they feel pretty limited right now but sean marks is also able to turn you know lemons into lemonade he's 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 able to do it repeatedly he did it last year at the buyout market brought in a bunch of intriguing options on a roster that was playing like Noah Vonley <laughs> at this time last year. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to take away from what he's able to do. Yeah. I mean, I trust Sean Marks to fix the roster and just kind of tinker with it. Like I wouldn't expect this roster to be the same roster that appears after the deadline or after the buyout market. The yeah. one thing I would say is like, they probably, they really need just a wing that can just be a three and D guy. Yeah. Be a three and D guy and just be able to attack a closeout, and that's it. But those are really hard to find. Every team in the league wants that wants that type of a player. Um, if you can't find that guy, I I don't know. Just an if if Javon Carter was shooting the three ball better, or just doing anything, <laughs> I, I just I God that would have been a very key piece for them. Um, I just that off guard spot. I I think you can find guys like that, and just having that spot filled would just be night and day. Yeah. And the bigs too. I mean, you know, stretch bigs. As you said, they can be a little overvalued. Um, you can just kind of switch, and if if your stretch big can't post guys up or beat anybody off the dribble, which is hard as a big man, um, then I then you're kind of limited there, but. Just not having anything at those two positions is tough at the moment. Other than Patty Mills. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Patty, if they didn't have Patty Mills right now, they'd be totally screwed. Yeah. Well, and he's also been slumping too. Yeah. So 
I mean, but, just at least the threat of Patty Mills out there is just better than not having him. Yeah, yeah, you know, because he forces rotations and he makes you stay honest. Uh, do you have anything else? No, I actually really don't. I don't think I don't have anything else. Cool. Well, Mark, you're dude. You're tremendous. This was great. Uh, you brought. I I this was terrific, man. I have nothing else to say. Um, just a lot of information. Uh, the biomechanical stuff with Harden was interesting. That stat was killer. So this was great. Definitely want to have you on again. Uh, where can the people find you? Do you even want to plug your Twitter? You're like, you're the anonymous. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. It's just M-A-R-K-L-I-T-09. I mean, I usually, I haven't written anything this season just because I feel like the Nets haven't been as interesting and I've kind of struggled with trying, find, trying to find things to write. So I've just been like going over small game stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, if people want to follow me, they can follow me. It's totally fine. Yeah, you do it. Uh, Mark's excellent, if you can't already tell from this podcast. Uh, and your writing's terrific. The videos are awesome. I hope I hope we get into some fun basketball so you can start doing those again. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for doing this with me, and uh, I, I hope to have you on again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, man.